This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. The GOP tax bill is in its final hours right now. The bill passed in the Senate late last night, 51 to 48, and will be voted upon in the House of Representatives for a second time today due to a procedural glitch. The $1.5 trillion package of tax cuts and tax code revisions should go to President Trump's desk by the end of the week. There are many benefits for businesses in this bill, but there are also some for the consumer as well. Also, those benefits seem to peter out by the end of the 10-year tax or 10-year window of this bill. To discuss the final version, we welcome into the studio Michael Knoll, who's professor of law and professor of real estate here at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also co-director of the Center for Tax Law and Policy. And joining us on the phone, Lori McMillan, who's a law professor at Washburn University in Kansas. And also joining us, Daniel Hemmel, assistant professor of law at the University of Chicago. Michael, great seeing you again. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Lori, Daniel, as always, great to have you joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you both. Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, you have talked a lot about tax reform in general. Uh, you did so at a seminar recently. So when you look at this bill and you look at it from the business perspective, what's your reaction in general? Um, well, from the business perspective, there's certainly a number of things here to make businesses quite happy, both corporations, the reduced tax rate, um, for corporations, the improved and more competitive international treatment moving towards a territorial system, and for smaller businesses, the reduced rate on pass-throughs. So there's much to make business here quite quite pleased with the result. It is, a, it is the U.S. going to a quote-unquote territorial system, is it the right move in your mind? A uh, move in that direction, in my opinion, yes, is that is the right direction to be moving because it's very tough for U.S. companies to compete um, with foreign companies because of the tax disadvantage. Uh, It's made trouble competing in the United States. It's one reason companies strip out a lot of money and move. Mm -hmm. It's made it harder to compete abroad. What we do need, though, is we do need strong anti-abuse measures because a territorial system encourages people to strip money out and to avoid tax entirely. And the bill certainly takes steps in those directions. Um, Some of them are reasonably strong. Some provisions may violate international agreements, specifically the WTO, which I know you had a speaker on just before. So there are challenges there, but there are definitely steps in that direction. Lori? Um, I pretty much agree with that. I I like the fact that we're going to a territorial system, but you have to be really careful when doing that. And I, I see commentators all over the place mentioning that there's a lot of technical issues with this bill, uh, the, what's going on, and there's a lot of little fixes that need to be made. And I think we do need stronger provisions in there dealing with anti-abuse. Dan? I think that the shift to a territorial system is a good thing if you have all the money in the world, but it costs money. We would raise more revenue uh, if we had a worldwide system than a territorial system. Uh, And I think that 
in the long run, we would make the United States more competitive uh, if we invested in schools and in our healthcare sector. Um, and we'll see as a result of this tax plan uh, quite likely uh, cuts to those areas. Um, so I'm not sure in the long run whether this is good for business because business relies upon uh, American infrastructure, uh, American human capital, and American consumers. Well, the the pass-through is one, Daniel, that, that seemingly is getting a lot of attention, and I'll, I'll let you speak on that specifically, because there is a concern of, you know, of whoever the, the person may be, whether it be a lawyer, a doctor, athlete, whatever it might be, there's a concern that, as a lot of people have said, that the potential for gaming is there with the pass-through, the way it's set up. So lawyers, doctors, and athletes are all specifically targeted in an anti-abuse provision that prevents them from uh, gaming this. I think it's going to be uh, uh, investors in pass-through entities who aren't lawyers, doctors, athletes. There are a few more uh, occupations that are specifically targeted, performing artists, accountants, consultants, um, who will see dramatic reductions in their marginal tax rate as a result of this. Michael? Yeah. No, no, I I would agree. I think there certainly is going to be gamesmanship here. On the international front, though, a lot of Daniel's arguments really have to go to what's really our level of taxes in total and how is that tax revenue going to be spent. And clearly this bill is blowing a hole in already a bad fiscal situation. But I don't think the answer is to move towards a worldwide tax system for the relatively small amount of money compared to our entire budget that that would raise, but rather through consumption and other taxes and more taxes on individuals, perhaps not going in the direction that the bill does with individuals, and getting the money there and then spending it on infrastructure, education, et cetera. Dan, you respond to that? I'll agree with that. Um, certainly, if uh, the Republicans were willing to combine uh, corporate tax cuts and a shift to a territorial system uh, with higher taxes on individuals or some way to fill uh, the deficit hole, um, then that could be a positive reform. But this isn't that. This adds $1.5 trillion to the deficit and ultimately in the long run uh, raises taxes on lower and middle income families. Lori, uh, going back to the, the, the international side of this for a second, it, we're at a time right now where we see places like Ireland uh, really lowing, lowering their tax rate. Uh, and it's, it feels like the challenge for businesses here in the U.S. or ones that are outside the U.S. is seemingly growing because of how some countries really view the tax system around the, around the world right now. Well, we do races to the bottom when it comes to different countries trying to lower their taxes. I don't think that's been adequately addressed in this bill because even though we're dropping the corporate rate a great deal and we're going to a territorial system, you will see other countries that are most likely going to respond to this. So you won't see the U.S. attracting a huge amount of business over it because for example, these other countries are free to lower their rates as well to do lockstep and react to what the U.S. is doing. I mean, Ireland has been in trouble a few times over the years with the EU for doing that, and they've been warned a few times that they had to increase their corporate tax rate. So I, you will see other countries reacting to this, but that's just the game that we play in international tax. Michael? Um, 
No, I mean, that's that's true, right? Uh, other countries, since we are such a big player, will certainly react. Um, they will likely reduce their tax rates, their corporate tax rates. But also companies, uh, countries will also be thinking in terms of how they're going to protect domestic markets. And we've seen that in some uh, the BEPs, the base erosion and profit shifting talks. And I think the United States is, to some degree, finally getting on board with what the rest of the world is doing, which is moving towards a more territorial system and trying to think about how we are in such a system going to define what is domestic income and subject to tax. See, we were holding on to an old view of the world, which is that countries should tax corporations based on where they reside. And everyone has moved off that. And that has been detrimental to the United States. That's why there's $3 trillion of U.S. companies' money um, sitting offshore and invested sometimes in low-performing assets because it would cost them 35% to bring it back. Um, So I think it's important that we're getting on board. So are we then, with that $3 trillion, are are we potentially going to see a a majority of that money come back into the country? And and if it does – you know, be used to to build up uh, the companies and and build up their infrastructure and, and investment uh, in operations. I mean, obviously, I think that's the goal, but it's whether or not we actually see it or not. Well, the consensus seems to be yes and no. Yes, the money will, in the sense <laughs> that's quite uh, a consensus. Right? Yes, it will come home, in the sense that the companies will repatriate it because they're going to be taxed on it right away yeah. at, at reduced rates. But most of that money likely will go for dividends, share repurchases, for acquisitions of other companies. It's not so likely to go into new investment by virtue of their cash being there because these were not constrained companies. These were companies who had access to borrowing and other ways to raise money to engage in investments in the U.S. The question is, will a reduced rate cause more investment separately? And that we have to wait to see. Dan? I think it's important to remember that these $3 trillion in cash aren't just sitting in a pile in Bermuda or Ireland. About half of this money is already reinvested uh, in U.S. assets. Um, So I think we'll still see companies holding stock in other companies, uh, companies having a lot of cash um, in bank accounts and in bonds. I'm not sure whether we'll see more dividends and more buybacks um, for the reason that right now, uh, a C corporation, uh, so that's most publicly, uh, virtually all publicly traded corporations, that's a pretty good place to have your money. Um, you're taxed at, uh, at the top rate 23.8% on dividends and capital gains in your own individual account. Uh, the company is taxed at a 10% rate on dividends uh, and a 20% rate on capital gains. So if you're just going to have uh, your assets in um, stock, uh, I would rather have my assets in Apple uh, holding the stock rather than in me holding the stock because Apple now faces a lower tax rate than I do. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Dan, you, you briefly mentioned uh, the individual tax side of this, and I'll, I'll let you jump in on, on this to start. Uh, what's your reaction to you know what we're going to see potentially on the individual tax side? Well, we are seeing a reduction in the top rate of about 3.8 percentage points. Uh, it's uh, uh, 
statutory rate reduction of 2.6 percentage points from 39.6% uh, to 37%. Uh, but everyone in the top bracket right now pays an extra 1.2 percentage points because of something called the P's provision, and this gets rid of that. Um, so we're seeing a, a big cut in the top rate. Uh, we're seeing an even bigger cut in the top rate uh, for folks who invest in real estate and um, other pass-through businesses. For them, their rate is going from about 40.8% today uh, to about 29.6% uh, under the new plan. And we're seeing a small reduction in the rate on capital gains and dividends. Uh, the bill itself doesn't talk about capital gains and dividends uh, with respect to individuals. But individuals are right now paying an extra uh, approximately 1.2 percentage points uh, on capital gain and dividend income. Uh, these are high-income individuals, uh, and uh, this bill is getting rid of that. Lori, what's your reaction to, to, the, uh, to the personal side? Um, for the personal side, I have mixed reactions, especially because um, the flow-through thing I look at is both business and personal. When we're looking at what we're doing, when we're looking at what we're trying to reform our tax system to be, we have two main concerns. One, are we raising enough revenue? You know? And the other concern is, are we raising it in a manner that is fair, that distributes the, distributes the burden of society in a manner that's appropriate? When we look at the individual rates, yes, there are some cuts. There's, there's a little bit of a reduction. And in some ways, the, they're touting the fact that most people are going to have some sort of tax break as a result of this, which is great, especially for the lower and middle classes, because if the lower income earners get a tax break, if they have more money in their pocket, they tend to spend it, which actually helps the economy. But when we look at the other things that are going to be coupled with this, because of the fact that we're looking at a $1.5 trillion addition to our deficit over the next 10 years, we're also going to be looking at other cuts that have to come into play. You know, I, I live in Kansas. We've been through this. Yeah. We've been through, hey, let's lower the tax rate on individuals. Wouldn't this be grand? We are going to have a quote-unquote shot of adrenaline into our economy. It's going to be wonderful. So, but it wasn't. It absolutely wasn't wonderful. What happened was that our economy tanked, and there were massive cuts that affected these individuals far more than the ostensible break that they got. And, so, and what's the what's the change that has been necessary since the, all, all of those issues there in Kansas? Oh, we have slashed funding on infrastructure. We are so far in the hole when it comes to pension obligations, uh, public pensions, and education has been cut to the bone. We had schools last year that had to close early because they ran out of money. And when you look at what do people want from their government, people want their children to actually be educated. And I'm not talking college and university. I'm talking about K-12 through education. We're talking with middle school children that yeah. had to go home a few days early because the school ran out of money and they just didn't have enough for the lights or for the teachers or the janitors. So when I look at what's happening on the personal side, and again, this, this ain't my first rodeo seeing something like this. This is only a few years ago that we did this in Kansas. So for the extra 60 or 80 or $100 that a low-income person might get out of this, I am seriously worried about the cuts that are going to have to come down the pipeline to pay for this. We've already seen rumblings that, hey, we're going to have to tackle 
you know, Medicare and Medicaid and, and other sort of quote unquote entitlement spending as a result of this. Right. So that that is my major concern. Well, I guess that's that that is is the concern of a lot of people is the the issue surrounding the entitlement programs, Michael. And you don't want to lose a lot of the support for a lot of people around the country in those specific areas because that's not just five dollars coming out of your pocket. That ends up being you know a, a potential life changing issue here. Oh, yeah. No, and very much targeted, obviously, towards uh, the less wealthy members of of society. And, I mean, a lot of these issues really go to the question of what are the dynamic effects of this bill. Right. Right. So to some extent, the argument made by some supporters is that growth will pay for it, in effect. And so it's not really going to be a cut in revenue. Um, That view is something of an outlier, to say the least. Um, there's really a range of estimates, but my guess is they probably come to about a third. That is the suggestion being that there'll be enough growth to increase tax revenue by about a third of what was lost. Right. That, that tends to be sort of even towards a little bit on the high end, I think, of where most economists come out, which actually you know, plays exactly into the concerns Laurie is raising. The government is not going to have enough money unless they go out and tax and make up for it or – cut spending further, which is likely to be even more harmful. But I, I think, though, there there are some situations, Dan, where, mm-hmm. uh, and I think a lot of people discuss this, that uh, there are elements of government spending that probably could be trimmed and probably wouldn't have that significant uh, of uh, of an impact. I'm not saying that across the board, but you, you have to kind of really investigate where those areas are. Sure. Uh, though Social Security and health care are already uh, uh, half the federal budget. Yeah. Um, so if we don't want to trim those, uh, then and if we don't want to touch national defense, and it doesn't seem like the Trump administration does, then there aren't that many more uh, federal programs uh, where there's a lot of money lying around. Moreover, uh, the uh, passage of this bill is going to trigger... Uh, the sequester, which we remember back um, from the Obama presidency, immediate cuts uh, across the board to a variety of federal programs, uh, including Medicare. And Republicans could pass this tax legislation with 50 votes in the Senate. They'll need 60 votes in order to turn off these cuts. And they don't have those 60 votes right now. So we're going to see immediate impacts on uh, people who are reliant upon Medicare and other social services. Lori? I completely agree with that. We we're looking at we're looking at how is this burden going to affect people, and that's something that isn't being talked about in this rush to get this legislation passed. It has passed so quickly, and there are so many technical issues with this bill. I mean, it's it's we we don't have enough time to go into all the problems with the way that it's drafted and a lot of the unintended consequences. But there are intended consequences, which is we are going to rack up a $1.5 trillion deficit as a result of this when we are not needing to. The fact that we are adding so much to our deficit at this time, it it makes no sense. And there is no coherent underlying tax policy or or any policy why we are doing so. Michael? Uh No, I I would largely agree with that. A small point to make is that's my understanding why the bill may not actually get signed this year. It may get pushed off until January January 3rd or or something. Yeah. So at least we'll give a year 
to work on that. And But part of the problem, which I think uh, Lori was alluding to, is by having this be a one-party bill entirely. Right. Uh, no Democratic buy-in. And any bill is going to need technical corrections to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then there also are the budget concerns, too. Um, it, it just makes it harder to do. And it makes all of these bills or, or, or any such bill quite um, uncertain for its future because uh, the way the de Republicans have been running against Obamacare for years, yeah. the Democrats will be in a position if things change to reverse it. And that takes away a lot of the incentives to invest and do other things based on any sort of permanence. Um, so it makes for a very messy situation by virtue of all of this rushing. So then, Daniel, in your opinion, how do we move towards at least the idea that is being brought forth by this administration of trying to build growth again here in the U.S., bringing jobs back into the U.S., and not, uh, you know, put ourselves in a, in a, in a severe economic hole? Well, ultimately, I think the engine of American growth is going to be human capital. Uh, so investing in our people uh, is the way to make our country the premier economy in the world. Uh, that also includes loosening our border restrictions so that we can bring in the best engineers from other countries uh, to start the next Google and the next Intel. Um, but so far, I've seen little evidence from the Trump administration that they're interested in that. Uh, and instead, they're dramatically cutting tax rates on income from physical capital, uh, but doing relatively little to grow the knowledge economy. Lori? I agree with that. When Part of the problem with the way that these cuts are structured, especially for business, is it's not tied to an outcome. We ostensibly want jobs and growth, which was exactly the mantra that was said in Kansas. Jobs, 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 growth. This will be wonderful. It's all connected. Basically, trickle-down economics. But it didn't happen. When you want an outcome, you tie it to any perks or rewards that you are getting. At least that's best practices. What I tell my students is, if you have children and you want them to do your homework, and you're going to give them a cookie as a reward. Do you give them the cookie first and trust that they're going to do their homework? Okay. Or do you have them do your homework, the homework that they're supposed to do, and then you give them the cookie as the reward? And most people sensibly say, well, you wait for them to do the homework, then you give them the cookie. Because human nature would otherwise say that they're going to get the cookie and they're going to try to get out of it. So if we want people to create jobs, it would be a far better thing to target job creation and reward the job creation with a tax break, with a targeted benefit. And that's absolutely not, not what's happening. There is an attempt for the pass-through benefits to try to, take, uh, to tie it to the amount of W-2 income that gets paid, except for at the last minute this massive benefit was put in for capital-intensive businesses such as real estate, um, real estate businesses where it, it's, it has nothing to do with job creation. So that's a little bit of a head-scratcher when it comes to why is it structured this way. It's absolutely just a benefit that is being given to high-income real estate developers. Well, right, in many cases to existing investment. But, but ultimately, growth 
depends on improving human capital and on having physical capital available. And the tax bill does some things in terms of improving opportunities to have physical capital in the United States. It does nothing in terms of human capital. And um, the large budget deficit or holes being blown in the budget are going to make it much harder to improve human capital. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Your comments and questions are welcome. 844-942-7866. We're talking with Michael Knoll here at the University of Pennsylvania, Lori McMillan of Washburn University in Kansas, and also Daniel Hemmel of the University of Chicago, an assistant professor of law there. Uh, what's your expectation, though, uh, Michael, as to how this bill is going to play out and how, you know, what were we going to be talking about a year from now, two years from now, uh, as as really the role of of this tax plan uh, on the United States? Wow. Um, Well, there's certainly various camps there in terms of what is going to um, happen. I think Part of the problem is is you don't see the effect of the deficits for some time. So in many ways, some of the most damaging aspects of the bill is borrowing against the future, and one doesn't see that right away. Um, I I think some big questions are really going to be what's going to happen with U.S. companies, and um, especially sort of onshore versus offshore. Sure. And not entirely sure how that will cut, but but I think that will be a big part of the conversation. Do we uh, see sort of the problems continue or do we see some movement in the other direction um, in terms of even IP and other kinds of things, which are kind of nominal when they get brought back? Right. Um, but I, I think that will be a big part of the conversation. Daniel? I think there will be huge political ramifications of this. It's really hard to cut taxes uh, and not win votes for that. Uh, but it seems like Republicans in Congress and the Trump administration have found a way to make cutting taxes uh, politically unpopular. Um, the fact of the matter is that most Americans will see a tax cut in tax year 2018. Um, they won't actually know that for sure until they do their taxes in April 2019 after the midterm elections. It seems like about 40 percent of the population perceives that their taxes are going to go up, uh, even though uh, the real number is much smaller than that. So I think this increases the possibility that 2018 will be a wave election for the Democrats, um, and the political ramifications of this bill might be among the most significant. Lori? I think the politics is where it's at when it comes to the impacts from this, because they have to do some adjustments. You know, they're going to have to do some cuts. And that's what we did in Kansas. Cut, cut, cut. And the fact that we are such an incredibly red state, we made tax cuts unpopular here. And I, I see that happening on the federal level. Great having you all with us. Uh, thank you, Lori. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us on the phone today. Thank you for having me. Thank you both. Michael, great seeing you. Thank you for coming in. Thank really you. appreciate it. Our final 30 of Knowledge Award coming up in just a minute. You're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 